Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Finning International Inc. first quarter 2021 investor call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. Analysts who wish to join the question queue may press star then one on their telephone keypad. Should you need assistance, during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Greg Palaschuk, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Finning's first, call, first quarter earnings call. Joining me today is Scott Thompson, President and CEO. Following our remarks today, we'll open the line to questions. This call is being webcast on finning.com. We've also provided a set of slides which we will reference during the prepared remarks. The slides are posted on the events and presentation page of the investor relations section of our website. You can also view the slides on our webcast page. An audio file of this call and accompanying presentation will be archived on our website. Before I turn the call over to Scott, I want to remind everyone that some of the statements provided during this call are forward-looking. Please refer to slides 10 and 11 for important disclosures about forward-looking information, as well as currency and non-GAAP financial measures. Please note that forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and other factors as discussed in our annual information form under key business risks and in our MD&A under, under risk factors and management and forward-looking information disclaimer. Please treat this information with caution as things actual results could differ materially from current expectations. Scott, over to you. Thank you, Greg, and good morning, everyone. On today's call, I will focus on the first quarter highlights and our expectations for the remainder of the year. Greg will then provide more details on our regional performance and outlook, as well as our free cash flow and balance sheet. Please turn to slide two. We are encouraged by the broad-based recovery in our markets and the growth momentum heading into the second quarter, despite continued challenges related to COVID-19. Importantly, we have improved our operating efficiency, strengthened our balance sheet, and are executing well to capture growth and deliver results during this recovery. We are capitalizing on growing demand for equipment, equipment across all markets and regions. Our equipment backlog increased by 57% from December 31, 2020 to $1.2 billion at the end of March, the highest backlog since Q4 2018. Quoting activity remains robust. Our order intake was up by 33% from Q4 2020, the highest intake of the last three years, reflecting a significant increase in all regions. In the UK and Ireland, our backlog reached record levels at the end of March, driven by strong order intake in construction and a significant backlog of power system projects for data center customers. We have secured additional equipment orders for HS2 with 83 million pounds currently in our backlog. We expect to start delivering equipment to this project in the second quarter. 
In South America, we recently announced contract wins with Chilean state-owned copper mining company Cadelco, the world's largest copper miner by production. We will supply 22 Caterpillar Ultra-Class trucks to the Radomir Tomich copper mine and support the fleet under a five-year maintenance and repair contract. This order is not currently in our backlog, given it was confirmed post-quarter end. We expect to start delivering the equipment in the second half of 2021. In addition, we have secured a five-year extension of our existing product support contract with Cadelco's Ministro Halley's Copper Mine, which operates 39 Caterpillar Ultra-Class trucks, six Caterpillar shovels, and a large fleet of Caterpillar support equipment. Encouragingly, we will also work closely with Cadelco to pilot Caterpillar's autonomous technology at the Ministro Halley's operation. We are now working with both Cadelco and Tech to implement autonomous solutions to their operations in Chile. As we continue to navigate through the pandemic-related challenges, I am very pleased with how our global teams are executing on the growth and profitability drivers we outlined during our Q4 investor call. South America delivered a strong first quarter, reflecting improved execution to capture growth opportunities and increased operating efficiencies. Our large mining customers in Chile faced a challenging operating environment in Q1 as they work to mitigate the impact of the second wave of COVID-19. Copper production in the first quarter was down 2% year-over-year and down 7% from Q4 2020. After a slow start to the year in product support, customer activity started to improve midway through the first quarter and continues to ramp up. Our return on capital of 14.4% in South America was the highest since Q3 2018 driven by improved working capital performance. The first quarter results highlight the great potential for our South American business once we get through the pandemic and product support gets back on a growth trajectory. In Canada, construction markets continue to improve. We have been leveraging extensive connected assets in our territory and Caterpillar's proprietary algorithms called prioritized service events to generate product support leads specifically focusing on customer value agreements, or CVAs. CVAs make it easier for our customers to manage their preventive maintenance activities. In Western Canada, the number of construction machines under CVAs has increased by almost 50% since 2019. So far this year, more than 90% of all of our construction equipment sales included CVAs. We are also targeting rebuild opportunities in construction markets. In the first quarter alone, we rebuilt 34 construction machines compared to 21 total certified rebuilds during all of 2020. We are on track to nearly triple the number of construction rebuilds this year compared to 2019. We are encouraged by the early success of our strategy to accelerate product support revenue and market share in the construction segment, and we are well positioned to further build on this momentum. We will have much more to say on this topic and our growth expectations at our investor day next month. We also continue to work with our mining customers in Canada to improve fleet performance and lower costs by extending component life through our integrated knowledge center. Forafuel delivered strong performance in the first quarter with a 21% increase in EBITDA on 3% higher revenue compared to Q1 2020. We are accelerating revenue synergies between finning and for refuel. 
As part of Forward Fuel's growing relationship with ACON, we will be supplying fuel over the next three years for highway upgrades through the Kicking Horse Canyon in British Columbia. The UK had a great start to the year, marked by additional HS2 wins, record equipment backlog, and healthy growth in product support revenue. Execution in the UK has been exceptional, and we have strong momentum coming out of Q1. The UK has been leading our other regions in vaccinations, which is reflected in a stronger pace of recovery compared to Canada and South America. Encouragingly, product support growth in the UK was 7%, which is directly correlated to return of more no normal operating conditions. The cost savings from our global initiatives are tracking to exceed $100 million per year, and we expect to further improve our earnings capacity in the coming quarters. Despite the slower-than-anticipated vaccine rollout in Canada and continued challenges related to COVID-19, we expect our 2021 earnings to exceed 2019. Our Q1 2021 adjusted EPS of $0.35 cents was up 16% from Q1 2019 on 15% lower revenue. We have also lowered our finance costs and significantly strengthened our balance sheet with $900 million in free cash flow over the last 12 months. As we increased our inventory orders beginning last fall to deliver on growing demand, we expect our EBITDA to free cash flow conversion to be modestly below 50% this year. Our data-driven approach to inventory ordering allows us to be more proactive, which benefited us greatly leading up to COVID last year, and now gives us good visibility into the recovery. Our focus on sustainability is increasingly appreciated by all of our stakeholders. We are minimizing our environmental footprint and delivering on our commitment to reduce GHG emissions by 20% between 2017 and 2027. We have made significant progress towards this goal with Q1 2021 emission reductions in all of our operations down 11% from Q1 2020 on a consolidated basis. We are supporting our customers in reaching their emission reduction targets by providing alternative fuel engines to reduce CO2 emissions. For example, we recently delivered 12 new Caterpillar Tier 4 Dynamic Gas Blending, or DGB, engines to Trican Well Services. As part of its plan for an ESG-focused fleet upgrade, Trican announced that it will upgrade one fleet to to Tier 4 DGB engines. This fleet will realize diesel natural gas substitution rates of up to 85%, resulting in significant cost savings and CO2 emission reductions. The CAT dynamic gas blending engine is an appealing alternative for frac operators and drilling contractors looking to reduce diesel consumption, providing a great alternative in the transition toward clean energy. Our outlook for the remainder of the year remains unchanged. We are optimistic about market recovery gaining momentum in the second half of 2021 as the vaccine rollout ramps up in each of our regions. However, we expect 2021 revenue to remain below 2019 levels. In the near term, we expect COVID-19 mitigation measures to continue impacting our business. In Chile, we are monitoring the mining industry's response to a second wave, and in Canada, there is continued risk of restrictions, particularly in Alberta. I am confident that we have positioned the business for strong performance going forward as we continue to execute on our profitability drivers. Specifically, we expect to benefit from operating leverage in a recovering market, 
which will improve our profitability and return on invested capital. We are driving product support growth in all regions by leveraging our digital capabilities to win customer business. We are progressing toward our mid-cycle target of 17% SG&A as a percentage of net revenue. And we will be deploying the significant free cash flow we have generated in a balanced fashion to grow our business and return capital to shareholders. And on that note, I'll pass it over to Greg. Thank you, Scott. I'm going to provide more detail on our Q1 results and 2021 outlook by region and discuss our free cash flow, balance sheet, and capital allocation priorities. Our consolidated first quarter results are summarized on slide three. Net revenue is up 2% from Q1 2020, with all operations reporting improved customer demand for equipment. Adjusted EBITDA was in line with Q1 2020, and reported EPS of $0.43 included $0.05 of Canadian emergency wage subsidy and $0.03 final return on investment in Energist. Adjusted EPS of $0.35 was up 6% year-over-year, driven by higher EBIT in South America and the UK and Ireland, as well as lower financing costs. Slide four shows our revenue growth drivers for the first quarter. We saw higher equipment sales compared to the first quarter of last year, driven by an increase in new equipment deliveries in South America and strong used equipment sales, particularly in mining in Canada. Underpinned by our increasing backlog, we expect the trend of higher proportion of new and used equipment in the revenue mix to continue going forward. Product support was down 5% year over year due to impacts of COVID-19 restrictions on our mining customers in Chile, as well as continued capital discipline in the oil sands. In terms of the shape of the quarter, it's important to note that the start of the year was slow, particularly in South America related to summer holidays and COVID management. Despite some continued challenges associated with COVID Wave 2, from mid-February on, activity levels have picked up significantly and accelerated through the end of the quarter, which is really encouraging for us. Our rental revenue in the first quarter was negatively affected by COVID-19-related work restrictions, particularly in our heavy rents business in northern British Columbia related to pipeline projects and Site C. Turning to slide five, gross profit year-over-year was lower year-over-year due to lower proportion of product support in the revenue mix. SG&A was down 3% compared to Q1 2020, reflecting savings from global cost initiatives. Excluding LTIP movements, first quarter SG&A was down 35 million or 10% year over year. Our LTIP expense was elevated in Q1 2021, driven by strong share price and key KPI performance. While in Q1 2020, we recorded an LTIP benefit due to a decline in share price at the beginning of the pandemic. We expect significant progress towards our 17% SG&A target in the coming quarters, driven by revenue recovery, which is increasingly underpinned by our strong backlog combined with our ongoing initiatives to reduce fixed costs and improve operating and process efficiencies. Our Canadian results and outlook are summarized on slide six. Net revenue increased by 2%, driven by strong used equipment sales, particularly in mining. New equipment sales were up 2% from Q1 2020. Product support revenue declined by 4% year over year, largely due to continued cost focus in the oil sands compared to Q1 of 2020. However, sequentially, the run rates continue to improve. Compared to Q4 2020, product support revenue increased by 4%, driven by improved demand and and stronger rebuild activity in both construction and mining sectors. SG&A in Canada decreased by 7% in Q1 
driven by cost savings from productivity initiatives and improved operating efficiencies, reflecting the benefits of increasing benefits of our triple R network operating model. We continued to qualify for CEWS and recognize 10 million of this wage subsidy in Q1, which is included in other income and excluded from our adjusted earnings. Support from the CEWS program has enabled us to preserve jobs as well as rehire and retrain our workforce to capture opportunities in the post-pandemic recovery. The program continues to protect approximately 250 jobs in areas of lower or shifting activities. And we are investing in retraining and relocating employees for jobs of the future in regions of increasing activity. Since June 2020, we have hired close to 150 mechanics. We continue to hire technical talent in strategic locations to meet recovering demand. Our OEM remanufacturing facility in Edmonton was able to maintain its three-shift operating model throughout the pandemic due to the support of the program. OEM is now approaching optimal utilization levels and has a new three-year labor agreement. This should enable us to effectively respond to the increasing demand. Additionally, the CWS program has allowed us to maintain continuity of our apprenticeship training program throughout the pandemic, which has benefited over 50 apprentices across Western Canada. Our outlook for Canada remains positive despite continued risks related to COVID-19. We are seeing improved market activity across all sectors, including an increase in oil sands production, robust coating activity for multiple mining projects, and strong order intake and construction. We're also starting to see an improved utilization of our heavy rent equipment fleet at pipeline construction sites as COVID-19 restrictions ease. In the oil sands, we expect product support activity to ramp up particularly in the second half of the year, driven by increased production and pent-up demand for parts, service, and rebuilds. We're also driving a significant increase in rebuild activity in the construction sector. Moving to South America, and I'm on slide seven. Net revenue is up 7% from Q1 2020, driven by a 58% increase in new equipment sales. Approved market activity and deliveries to Tech's QB2 project were the key revenue drivers. Product support revenue is down 3% impacted by continued COVID-19 restrictions in Chilean mining operations and lower copper production in the quarter. As noted before, after a slow start to 2021, products, mining product support revenue has increased significantly from mid-February on. And we expect continued momentum, particularly in the second half of 2021, as customers are finally able to resume full maintenance work. U1 EBIT margin of 8.6 was up 80 basis points from 2020. Despite the second wave of COVID, our, our South America team continued to demonstrate strong execution and improved earnings capacity of the business. We are optimistic about the market recovery in Chile in both mining and construction. We're actively quoting on multiple opportunities for new mining equipment and autonomy solutions for, brown, for both brownfield expansion and greenfield projects. According to the most recent report by Cochelco, Chile's portfolio of mining projects includes $20 billion of investment in brownfield projects over the next two to three years. The construction activity in Chile is improving as well, supported by government public investment in infrastructure. We continue to monitor the political and economic reform process leading up to the general elections in Chile in November 2021. In Argentina, we're seeing a recovery in construction activity and expect stability in gold mining and oil and gas sectors in 2021. Turning to the UK and Ireland on slide eight, net revenue is up 2% from Q1 2020, driven by higher product support revenue, which was up 7% year over year, 
power system project deliveries in the data center market are robust. EBIT margin was 3.2% compared to 0.5% in 2020, reflecting a shift in revenue mix to product support and improved operating efficiencies. The outlook for our UK business is strong, supported by a record backlog, buoyant equipment markets, HS2 construction, and upcoming deliveries in the data center market. I will now turn to slide nine to discuss our balance sheet and capital allocation priorities. Our Q1 free cash flow was a use of 20 million compared to a use of 50 million in Q1 2020. As Scott mentioned, beginning last fall, we proactively increased our inventory orders to deliver on the growing backlog and to meet expected improvements in customer demand. As a result, we are expecting cash usage through to the middle of the year. We are benefiting from improved management of inventory and other working capital, especially in South America. Our inventory turns increased 26% from Q1 of 2020 to the highest level since 2012. Working capital to net revenue ratio of 26% was down 300 basis points from Q1 2020 and was led by South America. We continue to monitor increasing challenges in the global supply chain and logistics, and we're taking appropriate mitigation steps. Where we're seeing potential new equipment supply challenges, we're looking for opportunities to provide rental, rebuild, and used equipment solutions for customers. Our balance sheet is in excellent shape. As at March 31st, our net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio was 1.5. We canceled the 500 million committed revolving credit facility we had secured last April, and in the quarter, S&P revised our outlook to stable based on our strong working capital balance sheet and the overall resilience of our business model. Our top capital allocation priority remains investment in organic growth to capture the market recovery, which includes inventory purchases and strategic investments in our facility network and digital capabilities. We will also review our dividend in the second half of the year in lockstep with our improving earnings capacity. We're also increasingly looking at M&A opportunities relative to share repurchases. All our operations demonstrated strong execution in the first quarter while continuing to navigate the challenges of the global pandemic. We are winning equipment deals, growing our product support market share, and maintaining our focus on cost and operational efficiencies. We will be hosting our virtual investor day on June 14th, which will feature presentations by all members of the leadership team. At this event, we'll provide an overview of our strategy to drive sustainable product support growth, further reduce costs, and reinvest to compound growth. We hope you can join us for this event. And with that, operator, I'll turn the call back over to you for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. Analysts who wish to join the question queue may press star then one on their telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then two. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The first question comes from Yuri Link with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Morning, Yuri. Um, noticeable shift in, in, in Canada to, to used equipment and, and rental. Um, wondering if you can comment on equipment availability and uh, update us on your uh, rental fleet CapEx plans for, for the year. Sure. Thanks, Yuri. Yeah, ro- uh, used was robust in the quarter. You know, as highlighted, we are um, looking to you know, shift towards rebuilds where that uh, makes sense. But also, we're just seeing good uh, demand in the used space, and we've had inventory and, and certainly put focus in that area. And so it's a strong market. Um, I think we've got a lot of customers who have prod line of sites or, 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 or projects for later in the year. Um, Financing is available, and um, you know they're very confident, and so they're, they're purchasing equipment. And in some cases, they're trading in equipment to place orders for the projects they're seeing. So we're seeing very robust demand and we're certainly looking to meet that demand. And then on the rental, and I think there's a bit of a dichotomy there where people have line of sights to projects and are confident, but at the same time, you know, the on the ground, particularly in Q1 with COVID restrictions that meant lower activity. So you saw that lower activity on the rental side, but we do expect that to pick up here in the spring. Okay. So no, uh, no major rental fleet additions. You're just looking to better get better utilization on, on the fleet that you've got in place? Yep, same CapEx that we guided to in Q4, which which had, does have net rental fleet additions this year. Um, you know, a solid refresh of the fleet, but you know, nothing, no big step up and, and, and certainly higher than the kind of net neutral we were in 2020. Okay. Uh, just shifting to South America, um, do you have what are your early thoughts on, on the potential impact of the, the proposed progressive royalty tax on, on copper sales in Chile? Hey, Yuri, it's Scott. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's a complex situation right now in Chile, uh, both for the pandemic, you know, coming out of the social unrest and, and, um, and looking at the government trying to address some of the income inequality issues. So we're obviously watching it closely. The mining royalty bill uh, did pass the lower house and, and now goes to the Senate. I think um, you know, the majority view is there will probably be some increase in royalties, but not to the extent that is currently uh, proposed by the opposition. Um, so something to keep an eye on for sure, but doesn't seem to be at least you know, from, from who, what, what, what we're seeing um, as it goes through the Senate, it will probably um, be less um, dramatic as, as currently proposed. Okay. 
That's helpful. I'll get back on the queue, guys. Thanks on the good quarter. Great. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Jerry. The next question comes from Jacob Bout with CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Trying to uh, square your uh, revenue guidance and, and build a backlog. Um, you know, you're still going to revenue being lower than 2019 levels, but, you know, substantial build in, in backlog, and you also have that uh, Cadelco contract. Is this, are you just being conservative or... Um, is it just heavily weighted to, to 2022? Yeah, no, I, you know, I think the guidance that we give is, is the right guidance. We've uh, definitely seen an uptick in, in committed orders, which is great and underpins, you know, our revenue views. And we've seen some momentum for sure, which is great. But 2019 was a very high revenue year, it was, you know, record in Canada. And we think it's going to take some time to get back to that, that pace. And so, you know, we feel increasingly encouraged, but 2019 was a really large revenue year, and we're not thinking that we'll get back to that level uh, in this calendar year. Okay. And then um, you talked a little bit about your margins, um, your ability to, to, to maintain uh, these margins, like this, this backlog and this Cadelco win, is this margin accretive or, um, you know, will... We'll, uh, the next year, um, you know, lead to, to lower margins going forward? Yeah, we, we discussed the same last quarter. No doubt that there's going to be a, some shift to new and used as the market picks back up. And so that puts a little bit of pressure on mar margins, but we think with our, our costs and, and pricing initiatives that we can manage to continue to yield up, um, even with that more new equipment in the mix. Uh, on the mining side, um, you know, the upfront is, is usually a lower margin. Um, and the product support is, is um, where we make the money full cycle. And so that, that's no different here. Um, but we're really pleased to sign up to a five-year maintenance and repair contract, uh, which is a great way for us to provide that service. And I guess, Jacob and Scott, just one thing to add, too, as you think about the South American results this quarter, I mean, we were really pleased with the 8.5%. The um, and that's in an environment where product support was down because copper production was down and Chile was dealing with with, with COVID, as you get back to normal levels um, of, you know, growth for product support, which we're, our, is our expectation, you can see the potential of that South American business. And, you know, and that potential comes because of the hard work that that team's done over the last two years to um, improve the, the technology and, and reduce the cost base. And so, um, you know, I think it's a, a good sign of things to come in that South American business. One quick loss, Scott. How would you characterize this bidding pipeline currently? Uh, if you look back historically, you know, are we getting anywhere close to say, you know, 2007 or 2011 levels? Sorry, from the backlog. No, from a from a your your bidding pipeline. Uh, when you say bidding pipeline, you mean quoting? quoting sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, sure. quoting. No, I, listen. I think. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I see a lot of potential going forward. I mean, if you look at the Canadian business, we see our customers still pretty constrained in terms of how they're thinking about um, capital. And what, what's really interesting here is given all of the cost work they've done and the capital discipline and now WTI at pretty constructive pricing, uh, if that continues, this will be the third second or third strongest year in history from a free cash flow perspective for the Western Canadian oil and gas producers. 
and so you know they're obviously using that capital right now to repair balance sheets and and, and get that in good shape. But our expectation, given uh, the hesitancy to uh, you know spend on uh, on 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 rebuilds and capital, that that will flow through. It has to flow through, and so I feel really good about that potential. And then in Chile. Um, you know, you've got uh, obviously the QB2 project, which is you know a big um, capital in- investment that is uh, going on, and we're supporting that, and that's really important for us. You can see us starting to deliver, but you've also got the copper price where it is, and uh, you've, you've got to have greenfield investments um, to you know to meet that copper demand. And so, subject to the political uh, machinations that Yuri had had highlighted. You know, our expectation is that there will be a lot more capital going into uh, Chile as well. So, from a quoting perspective, this was a great quarter. Uh, but my expectation over the next couple of years is it can, can continue to improve. You know, frankly. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Ross Gillardi with Bank of America. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Morning, Ross. Um, I just want to ask you about the guide in, in 2021, you know, being higher than 2019. I mean, dare you say if, if, if the first half of 21 will also be better than the first half of 19 overall from an EPS perspective? Yeah, we're, we're pleased to certainly exceed Q1 of, of 19 this quarter. Um, so, the, you know, it'll obviously be the Q2. And we see some good momentum, um, but ultimately I think it's a little early to call that. But we're, we're pleased with the momentum and pleased with Q1. Sorry, Greg, you cut out there a bit. So you, you're not commenting on whether or not the first half will be higher than the first half of 19? Right. You're just say we're, we're happy with Q1. We're happy with the run rate coming out, as mentioned. But I think it's a little okay. early to, to call Q2. Okay. And then just could you talk a little bit about the shape of recovery we should expect for product support in all the regions as the year unfolds? I mean, your easiest comp is obviously going to be in the second quarter. Um, so should we expect kind of like a spiking growth and then a deceleration throughout the year? Or are we going to see like a, a, a steady and gradual acceleration, do you think, for the rest of 2021, assuming we don't get any Surgence of the pandemic or crazy geopolitical events, which is always a pretty difficult assumption these days. But but just can you talk about that a little bit? How you how you think? I'm trying to get to kind of look what the exit rate, as you're seeing it today, might look like towards the end of 2021 on product support. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the shapes haven't been seasonal or typical for the last six quarters or so, but you have seen gradual sequential improvement um, throughout the last three quarters, and, and we kind of see that shape continuing. We see, you know, a step up in Q2, and then in Q3 is where we'd, we'd hope to see some of the, you know, normalization in South America and some of the increased demand Scott talked about coming from the oil sector. So I think we've got, you know, solid sequential into Q2, and then, um, you know, SPAC half of the year, we're looking for a step up. I think one thing, Ross, Hey Ross, just one thing to look at. It's it's interesting because the UK has been such an important indicator for us, both going down into COVID and now coming out of COVID. And you see product support there up seven percent year over year. And you know, I think everyone's struggling with with this recovery. You're seeing product support down in South America and Canada, yet equipment backlog do equipment up. And I think it's just it is a sign of COVID. You know, the operating conditions, the on the ground conditions are very difficult. 
in Fort McMurray um, and in Antofagasta. Uh, and as we have make progress on the vaccine um, and um, allow those operating conditions to normalize, I think you're going to see um, pretty significant improvements, similar to what we've seen in the UK. I mean, the UK is is now essentially operating at kind of pre-COVID type operating conditions, which is helpful for us. Gotcha. And then I just wanted to ask you lastly about pricing for new equipment. I mean, I, I think even you know before the, the COVID, you guys over the years would have characterized the pricing environment for new equipment as still very, very competitive. And I'm, I'm just wondering, if, is, is it firming up just given that maybe you know used equipment availability park fleet isn't as plentiful as you know as it as it once was demands picking up commodity and you know commodities have obviously uh, soared and then um, can can you can you talk a little bit more about Katz's relationship with Cadelco and how that's evolved over time I, our sense and I don't know if this is incorrect what was that historically Kamatsu was a bigger supplier at Cadelco, Cadelco and, and and I'm just wondering if that's gradually changing. Yeah, so let me take the second question first, and then we'll come back to the pricing question. So on the Cadelco question, I, th I think you're right. I mean, uh, Komatsu has had a significant share of the market there at Cadelco. I think for us and, and Caterpillar, um, a, a great site has been the Minister Holly site, which we've had for the last six or seven years. And frankly, that's probably from a you know a fleet performance perspective one of our best sites globally. I mean, the, the team has just done a great job in terms of uptime and, and keeping that uh, fleet up and running. And I think that has positioned us well for this opportunity. I think the second piece here um, is the autonomous solution, and you know well um, you know the, the advantages of the CATS autonomous solution relative to, to some of the competitors. And I think that has also positioned us quite well. So. We're feeling really good about the Cadelco relationship and expanding that relationship for you know both Finning and Caterpillar. On your pricing question, um, obviously it's been a difficult seven years, you know, with commodity prices where they've been, and and particularly in Western Canada, um, our customers have been under pressure, and and obviously you know that that's meant we've been under pressure. Um, I think it's very competitive. That that market, you know, will always remain competitive. But, but I do think there's a dynamic here, you know, as you think about inflation, as you think about lead times uh, extending, um, and, and, and they are extending, right? We, we heard Kat talk about that on their, on their call. You know, I think that ultimately will, will result in, um, you know, some changing dynamics um, that, um, you know, we'll obviously work with and through, uh, through, work through with our customers. Um, but but obviously a little bit more favorable environment today than you know over the last six or seven years. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Russ. The next question comes from Sherilyn Radborn with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, and good morning. Um, wanted to start with one on sort of the supply chain situation and. Specifically, how you plan to adapt the run strategy uh, to this environment and balance strong demand for used equipment against the need to maintain a certain breadth and depth in the rental fleet. So why don't I start on on um, just general supply chain, and then Greg, maybe you can talk about the used and rental. Um, so obviously, on supply chain, um, with this kind of backlog build, um, and, and you know, it's not unique to Finning. I think this is kind of the world economy reflating commodity prices higher. Um, 
we're going to have to be very, it's going to be a complex situation and we're going to have to stay very close uh, to Kat on this. And you heard Kat's uh, comments around, um, you know, making sure that they do everything they can to, to meet that supply. And, you know, this isn't unusual. We've been through these types of situations before, but nevertheless, it requires close coordination. I think for us in general is some, some good news and that a lot of the underpinning of uh, the revenue that we have is, um, you know, already kind of in delivery. Uh, and you think about QB2, you think about HS2, you think about actually Cadelco uh, that we just signed. Those have been in the works for a while and, you know, we have the equipment. Uh, and then the second piece is, um, you know, this has been a, you know, a long investment around data and capabilities here on the su supply chain side. And we, it served us well going into the downturn in terms of reducing our inventory. And my expectation is this will serve us well coming out of the downturn. So we've been ordering inventory now since October, November. I think we've been highlighting that to all of you uh, in terms of your expectations for the first half of this year on free cash flow. So I'm feeling pretty good about uh, our ability to meet demand. You know, that being said, I think it's going to be a, you know, a complex situation. As it relates to the run strategy, maybe, Greg, you can add a few comments on that. Absolutely. So, I mean, the run strategy has matured, and we do have a fairly steady source of, of uh, used equipment that comes both from our rental fleet as well as some customer arrangements. But I think, you know, the real win there has been product standardization and how we order inventory, how we load the rental fleet, and what we call our kind of runners, repeaters, strangers model, which really segments our inventory. So that's a pretty well-worn path now. And so we did pause on some of the rental ads last year um, due to COVID, but ultimately we've had some good cycle through. And what we're doing this year is we're adding, you know, some more sourcing to the equation, um, whether that be trade-ins or some pure sourcing, as well as really focusing on certified rebuilds to hit some of those run price points um, that we've built in. And we've had some really good success there. As Scott highlighted, we've really ramped up that activity. And so we think it's still a well-worn path. There'll be some supply challenges, but I think we're in a good mature position to fill that with some used and, and some dealer trades and the like. So we're feeling pretty solid about that equation. Okay. Um, and then in terms of some of the opportunities that the company is quoting on currently, just sort of setting aside supply chain for a second and focusing on the timing of some of those projects, as those you know quotes turn into bookings, is that building backlog effectively for 2022 and 2023 or for the second half? Yeah, it's always dependent on the nature of the tenders. I mean, the, the backlog built that we've got today, you know, is a good healthy component of construction and power systems, which typically will deliver within the calendar year, and that's uh, about two-thirds. Then on the mining side, it can range from, you know, one quarter to multiple years. So the nature of the the backlog builds that we've got, including Cadelco, tend to be, you know, within the next 12 months. And so a lot of the other tenders we've got going on, some of them are multi-year, but, you know, the backlog builds we've got today tend to deliver within the next 12 months. Okay, that's helpful. And then I apologize if I missed this, but I um, was just hoping you could address producer and contractor fleet utilization in the oil sands. Absolutely, very high. As you'll have seen, most producers are, are hitting record production levels, and we monitor a vast majority of the assets, and they're being very heavily utilized. Um, they've now gone into kind of turnaround maintenance seasons of, of, of their processing facilities, and so we're seeing them take the time to maintain some of their equipment as we speak. 
um, but heavy, heavy utilization for sure. Okay, so this and an uptake in the contractors. So all of that to say that the slower than expected start to product support um, to start the year is not it's not linked to utilization. It's really linked linked to COVID, um, you know, and to capex controls. To your point. And timing of maintenance. Yes. Perfect. That's all from me. Thank you. Thanks, Sherilyn. The next question comes from Michael Dumay with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, Scott, Craig. <laughs> um, in a, a typical mining recovery, product support tends to rebound before new equipment spend. So in your view, I mean, do the increased bookings reflect some refleeting potentially at the expense of rebuilds due to the site restrictions, or does the increase in mining orders mostly reflect intention to expand production? Yeah, the mining orders that we've got today tend to be fleet refresh in the case of, of, of Cadelco um, and in some of the Canadian miners. Um, but where, where we're seeing some growth in the mining sector is in the contractor space where um, they'll receive a multi-year contract and, and then purchase through us. We're seeing that both in the oil sands and increasingly in, in, in the copper mining in Chile. And so, um, you know, there is an optimism. There is a lot of contracts being awarded by miners to contractors at the moment. And so that's where we're seeing a lot of that activity. And that, again, goes okay. to the confidence and the expectation in the recovery. Okay, perfect. And, and can you comment to the size of the mining business in Canada, excluding the oil sands, and just maybe give us a sense for how large the opportunities in the Golden Triangle of BC are in relation to that? Yeah, it's a significant opportunity. So, I mean, any, any gold mine is going to have a, a large uh, package of equipment. Um, and so, as you know, from public markets, you know, there's about 10 players who are looking for capital, about five who are, are, are moving towards development. And so each of those will require, you know, a significant package. And so we continue to quote, and that's certainly gone from indicative quotes um, for feasibility studies now through to, you know, getting towards final awards in the coming quarter. So um, we feel strong about that opportunity, and, and, and you know, they are chunky. Each one is a chunky opportunity. Okay, thanks for that. And then maybe just one last one. Um, you highlighted that you've grown the aftermarket market share in construction in Canada. Um, can you talk about where those opportunities are coming from? As in, you know, is the incremental business coming from existing customers, or is it from mostly new customers? And um, you know, there's still quite a little bit left to go in terms of market share gain opportunities. Yeah, we think it's a really big opportunity. And, and, and going through the history, I mean, obviously we've had a huge mining opportunity in Western Canada. Six, seven years ago, we really shifted to make sure we got our market share on the construction side to the right spot. And now we're shifting to the aftermarket. Um, huge opportunity within rebuilds and certified rebuilds and making sure we have the right alternatives and price points there, and we've made big early progress. But also just using the data, you know, these prioritized service events um, where our sales force get automated leads from connectivity just helps a lot. It helps our sales force point in the right direction and, and more calls about data-driven events as opposed to lunches and fact-finding. So um, those are two examples, but really it's a, a full-court press on, you know, the top 1,000 lost opportunity accounts and, and really going after every piece of business that we can um, and having the right proposition for those customers. 
That's great. Thanks for the call, guys. Yeah, thanks, Michael. The next question comes from Sabahat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great, thanks, and good morning. Um, just a comment earlier around the mix of sort of the revenue going more towards new equipment versus product support and that impacting margins. Was that more just a near-term comment regarding, you know, just a shift that's taking place for the rest of this year and as people are cautious on product support, or is that something that could last a little bit longer? No, it's really just the reversion to mid-cycle. Uh, there's been, you know, there wasn't a lot of new equipment in the mix in 2020. And so it's, some of that is recovering. Uh, and we think the new equipment recovery to mid-cycle is going to be faster and stronger. And so, you know, that's a, a big part of the dynamic. But we think product support is going to pivot back to growth here in the middle of the year. Okay. And then there's quite a bit of discussion on just the supply chain and the outlook there. But I guess based on your current visibility, you know, do you see a quarter or at some point late this year, early next year where there is a bottleneck? Or is it more of a you know, keep an eye on the situation and things could work out just fine with supply and demand. Yeah, I think it's something we'll watch. We don't see any major disruptions. I mean, you'll have to go listen to Cat's call. You know, they're certainly on the lookout, but they're really good at working behind the scenes to reallocate demand and, and work their supply chain. So we think the, the, the flow will be steady and it'll just be a question of what the growth rate is and, and maybe that growth rate gets a bit slowed for a quarter or two. But, um, you know, we're feeling fine about that equation and have a healthy amount of equipment on order. Okay. And then, you know, the comment earlier around prioritizing M&A over share buybacks, I guess. Now, do you have things in the pipeline that you're looking at, or is it just more of a preference for M&A? And if nothing comes up, you'll go towards share buybacks. Just how active uh, should we expect um, on either or? Yeah, we're certainly increasingly looking. Um, you know, there's there's certain themes and in, in areas where we think that there's good good opportunities for us, and so there's there's nothing imminent, but we are spending time on it. And I guess the comment was more around, you know, as we do that, it's a very high uh, threshold of, of rate of return, and we'll we'll contrast that versus the returns of buying back our stock. So nothing imminent, but uh, you know, we're certainly spending more time there. Okay, and then this last one for me, you know, there's a comment in the release around, you know, you negotiated with your unions in Chile, and I think we've seen some headlines around some of the other sites that are in uh, negotiation of just other large miners. I guess, what's your general uh, view on how those situations are progressing? Is there anything you're keeping a closer eye on? Yeah, so from a union perspective, I think during the quarter, actually, we had two updates. So one, we, we came to a, an agreement with our OEM. Uh, union here in Canada, and then we also came to an agreement with our union in South America. So from a union perspective, you know, we, we feel really good, and I think those were win-win outcomes for our employees and 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 for us. So so good on that. I think in in Chile there are a number of union agreements for our customers that are coming up through the year, and that's you know obviously um, something that we need to keep a close eye on. Um, particularly in an environment where, you know, copper's 450 and there's a lot of obviously uncertainty in Chile around royalty taxes, et cetera, royalty and taxes. So, you know, nothing, um, you know, I have nothing to share other than what you read in the press, but it is something to keep an eye on um, as we go through the year in Chile. Great. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Brian Fast with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, guys. Good morning. 
Just on South America, I just wanted to get more clarity on, on margins down there. I mean, you saw an uptick year over year despite a decline in, in product support. Is this just uh, reflective of the investments you have into that business, or is there something else that we should read into? So I think it's a, it's a solid market. Um, you know, we're, we're spending time on all categories, you know, winning deals, um, looking at margin management, and, and certainly the cost equation. And so, you know, with the system functioning really effectively, almost every metric is, you know, improved versus the prior system now. And that really helps on making sure we're not leaking any, any margin on the gross profit side. And it helps us run a really tight ship on the SG&A side. So I think it's, it's in all areas, um, but certainly the cost leverage is, is, is providing a, a lot of help. And so we're excited about what that business can do when product support pivots back to growth. I guess, Brian, the other thing to um, to look at, too, is the return on invested capital. And so as you look at the return on invested capital this quarter, 14.4%, uh, um, you know, we're getting back to 2018 levels, and there's um, upside from there, given, you know, we just been through this pandemic. Um, and I, I do believe the working capital performance has been superb in in South America, um, and, you know, part of that is capabilities, part of that is, is system. Um, but, you know, the working capital, the sales come down, has come down 300 basis points across the whole company, and a large part of that has been driven by our South America business. So I do think there's significantly more upside when you get back to product support growing from both, a, you know, a, a margin perspective and also a return on capital perspective. Okay, thanks. And then um, can you talk about the phasing of, of costs? back in I know last year you expected a portion of of costs to be phased back in are are those costs now being reflected in current results yeah so certainly our goal is to match fixed cost reductions with the variable co uh, cost that we see increasing from volume that's the objective um, and there are some discretionary costs that are low now but we include that in that equation and so we're, we're looking to maintain um, that level of run rate to the extent that we can. Um, and, and that's the goal. And we've got structural areas uh, of continued improvement. Um, we've been really happy with uh, what we call the triple R network um, implementation in Canada. It's providing a lot of leverage uh, across the system, makes service more efficient, customer turnarounds, times better. And, um, you know, ultimately it's gonna allow us to take you know even more square footage out of the network in a very efficient way, and that provides another another step in our our, our cost journey. So we'll continue to work on those. Uh, we'll provide a, a little more detail on on the building blocks uh, at Investor Day. Um, we feel good that we've got enough fixed cost initiatives to offset the variable as we go here. Okay, thanks. That's it for me. Thanks, Brian. The next question comes from Maxim Sitchev with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning, Max. Um, I, I just wanted to circle back, if, if it's possible, to, to M&A. I think on the last call, um, you discussed uh, potentially looking at some, you know, lithium support opportunities. I'm just curious if, um, you know, there's any progress on that side and, and uh, if there's other potential adjacencies which... Uh, you know, potentially excite you guys. Yeah, so why don't I start on just M&A in general, and then, Greg, maybe you can add on lithium. So on, on the M&A piece, as, as Greg said, it's obviously got to be a high hurdle rate, and 
um, has to be, have synergies um, across the business and obviously has to compete against a share repurchase. I think one of the reasons that you know we're continuing to spend time on this is the success of Forward Fuel and Forward Fuel. Um, you know, you just look at the results. It's up, you know, 23% EBITDA in, through a pandemic, and and a lot of that is the, the cost synergies. And now we're starting to see revenue synergies, and this Acon deal is a perfect example of you know what we we're envisioning. And so that to us has uh, has been a, a home run. Uh, and so as we look forward, complementary type opportunities that um, can help the core business help uh, increase intimacy with customers um, and, you know, just become, you know, more relevant to that customer is, is something that we'll, we'll consider doing. As it pertains to lithium, we've, we have spent quite a bit of time looking at both the renewable opportunity in, in Chile and also the lithium opportunity in Chile, where 85% of the world's lithium is, is located. So, Greg, maybe you want to give a couple comments on that. Yep. So, it's an area we're spending quite a bit of time and just even in the base business, there's a lot of activity. And so, you know, within the quarter, we've got quoting packages of, of 10 to 20 million in both Chile and in Argentina. And so, you know, that's that's chunky for uh, for our business, but won't compete with copper at that scale. And so um, we're encouraged by the general business, but also we're looking at other areas of the value chain. And, you know, there's a few concentrated key customers we have great relationships with. And so we're looking at opportunities to play a broader role um, in the process, in the maintenance, as well as some of the logistics. So we're spending time looking at it. It's a big opportunity, a great kegger over the next 10 years, and we just want to make sure that you know, we play in the right place and that it, you know, the returns stack up versus other alternatives. Okay. No, that's super helpful. And uh, one last question. Um, and, and So thinking about, uh, you know, about the copper pricing dynamic and kind of long-term uh, operational leverage and in LATAM's, you know, business model, th does it change anything for you guys? Given the fact that I mean, there's some pretty, um, you know, bullish forecast right now around copper situation and and operating leverage in that business model, or how should we think about it from a structural perspective? I guess that's that's the question. Well, I guess you know, from a copper price perspective, I mean, we're all watching the tape and we're seeing you know 470 copper. I think part of the copper dynamics here is driven by supply as well. So um, you know, our expectation isn't that copper stays at you know 470. Um, our expectation is once the supply and demand gets um, you know a little bit more normalized, we're maybe in that you know four dollar type range. Uh, that's still a very good place to be, and I think it will drive a lot of investment, um, you know, into uh, the copper-producing regions, of which Chile is, you know, one of the most secure. Obviously, there's the the political machinations that you know we have to get through in Chile, but I believe that you know rationality will prevail, and there'll probably be some increases in royalties, um, but nevertheless, at a, a rate that will still attract investment. And for us, I think we're positioned really well. This has been a lot of hard work over the last two years, a lot of heavy lifting by the team to get the um, infrastructure in place, get the costs in place. And we've got an extremely capable leadership team down there with a great uh, facility infrastructure that will allow us to capitalize on, you know, the copper opportunity, the lithium opportunity, and, you know, and, and potentially other growth opportunities in Chile. So I think we're really well placed as, you know, I think we're the second biggest Canadian investor um, 
uh, in Chile from an employee perspective. And so we've got a great infrastructure to capitalize on the opportunity that I think will inevitably come down there. And it's been a long time coming. You know, we've been preparing for this for the last seven years. Uh, and I think now, you know, the stars are aligning here for us to be able to capitalize on it. So uh, we're really encouraged about the opportunity. Okay. Okay, that's super helpful. Thank you so much. That's it for me. Thanks, Max. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Greg Palaschuk for any closing remarks. Great. Thank you, operator. Thanks for joining today. Uh, appreciate your time and have a safe day. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.